Welcome to Growing Home, the podcast that helps you take care of the place that means the most to you, your home. I'm your host, Terry Therian, alongside your co-host, Len Giddix. So Len, today we met with Jonathan Hudak, the head chef of the Cafe Mantic restaurant in Willimantic, Connecticut. And not only was it interesting to learn about his craft as a professional chef, but his insights on you know what we can use in preparing our family meals this holiday season. Uh, you know, that's right, uh, Terry. He, he looks at it an entirely different way. Of course, he's preparing for 25, 50, 100 people each night. So he, he instinctively knows these tips that we are overwhelmed with come a holiday. Yeah, and, and even how he thinks about it it was you know putting the garden to work for us and it's it's his talent and his creative ability to do that to use the ingredients quality ingredients that was something that he brought home but also his emphasis that the meal was about the people as much as the food and when you think about it isn't that the truth it's 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 the it's the experience of the holiday that we're going to go home with not that you burnt the bean casserole. And that's what we think about, right? When we're planning our right. holiday get-togethers, it's yeah. it's being around the table with all these people. You know, with the point he brings up, you know, not to sweat the small stuff and to keep it simple and and make it so you can enjoy it as well. Right. There's always a plan B. Right. Always a plan B and, and getting stuff done ahead of time. So, you know, simple and easy for you this holiday. This is going to be an interesting interview. You got, you got to listen to this. Oh, yeah, for sure. So with that, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Jonathan Hudak. So Jonathan, welcome to the Growing Home Podcast, and thank you for making time to chat with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Today we know you as the chef behind the creations of Willimantic's renowned Cafe Mantic. Can you share with us a bit about your background and what led you to both this profession and also eventually Cafe Mantic? Sure, absolutely. I guess I started off at a pretty young age, um, 10 or 11, uh, interested in cooking. My mom was uh, always working in restaurants and stuff like that, so I would be tagging along, sometimes helping set up uh, tables for dinner and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up around restaurants. She ended up being a manager at one restaurant, and uh, they were short, a dishwasher on, I believe it was a Mother's Day. I was about 14 or so at the time, probably broke a few labor laws there, but I was pulled in and recruited. And um, <clears throat> I think one of my favorite things was I wasn't allowed to have soda as a kid, really. She's pretty strict about uh, what I ate and stuff. So at the restaurant, yeah, I could have pitchers of soda as long as I was working as a dishwasher. I was I was an employee, not her son. So that kind of uh, was a nice benefit. And um, I kind of, I think, first fell in love with the kitchen culture of just um, – just you know some crazy people to work with that was uh, exciting and um, uh, I just kind of liked the freedom that that was there and I ended up transitioning into like a one day a week prep cook for that restaurant um, I got paid like five bucks an hour just to help do prep and learn things here or there and then I kind of just transitioned to a full-time dishwasher through high school and um, at some smaller restaurants in the area, Italian places and stuff, family-owned places. And um, started cooking, worked my way up, um, and 
eventually ended up at a, at a larger corporate Italian restaurant, doing a few opening uh, restaurants for them and stuff like that, and learned the whole weird corporate side of how restaurants worked. And <clears throat> I, I was uh, a very young age as, as a sous chef there and kind of was very comfortable and thought I knew what I was doing and thought I was really great until someone showed me uh, the French Laundry cookbook, which kind of changed my life, I, I, I tell people. It's, uh, it opened my eyes to what, what real fine dining was and, and what whole other world there was in, in for kitchens. And just it was a complete shock to me. And I started reading about that and following that up. And So correct me if I'm wrong, but French Laundry is the famous restaurant, French restaurant in Napa. Correct. Thomas okay. Keller is the chef there. Um, and I, I think that that book was one of the first American cookbooks that was presented as like a as a European style cookbook with in-depth, you know, stories about purveyors. And it had, uh, you know, a feature on the mushroom lady that they used and the uh, lobster fisherman, uh, you know, in Portland, Maine or north of there, you know, showed how deep you could go into ingredient sourcing and and the stories behind food and stuff like that. And so that really, I think, really was a, a reality uh, check and, a, and an eye-opener to uh, how different, you know, the reality of all that was from what I was experiencing in this, in this corporate kitchen. And so that kind of made me change directions a bit. Yeah, and then understanding, like, the hierarchy in the kitchen, too, for a little bit. So you were working as a sous chef at this time. How does, how does a sous chef fit into the operation sure. of the kitchen? So a sous chef basically runs the day-to-day of the kitchen operations and, and supports the, the executive chef, um, uh, basically managing people. It's a, it's a tremendous amount of work and, and responsibility. I was definitely way too young to be in that position, I think, uh, looking back now. Um, uh they do all they do most of the work and, and get very little credit a lot of times you know they're 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 running the day-to-day and doing a lot of the hard work um you know butchering meats preparing things uh, you know watching the other cooks and being the the teacher the leader and uh pretty much the knower of where everything is and ordering and all that stuff so so you're a sous chef at a large corporation or a chain restaurant right and then and kind of where did you go from there from there, I found myself uh, <clears throat> going over to Grant's in West Hartford with Billy Grant. Um, I started there as a line cook, um, and you know that was a, a, a huge change, in, uh, obviously, to a uh, fine dining restaurant at the time. The menus, I think, a little different there now. They've gone more kind of uh, American, and at that time, you know, it was really uh, fine dining and. Um, uh, I met a credible amount of people that went on to work at great restaurants there uh, afterwards at, in New York City. And just, it really, Billy also introduced me to tons of the local chefs in the area, and I got to do a lot of events with that and really um, met a lot of the, the local restaurant scene and people in there and was, was a part of that. So is that like a, a restaurant like that everybody has, I mean, they have a pretty big reputation. Was that like sure. some, a restaurant like a lot of cooks and chefs aspire to work for? Or? Oh, I, I think, yeah, it was a different caliber of cooks that that were there. I was, you know, intimidated at first because it was such a different a different culture and a different style of food. It really just kind of fed uh, my curiosity and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of research and into ingredients and, you know, different styles of cuisine. And 
that time, I, I was going out a lot to New York City to eat at top restaurants. I, I racked up, I think, like $19,000 on an Amex card that I'm probably still paying off today uh, <laughs> of just getting the experience of, of, of eating at these great places. And, um, and that was just like personal curiosities. Oh, about absolutely. Yeah, I was just, in the trade. just in love with with the whole industry, you know, and, and restaurants in general. And just it's it's uh, never looked back from there, really. So. You know, I read up a little bit about Billy Grant, and one thing that stood out, or like part of his credentials almost, is that he's he's cooked at the James Beard Foundation home uh, or house, I think three times or, yeah. or something like that. Um, but you know, for a lot of us outside of the restaurant industry, I mean, maybe you could share with us quickly about the James Beard Foundation and what that means sure. within the industry. So I think like so the James Beard Foundation. Well, James Beard was a famous American chef. And they have James Beard Awards every year, which is which is pretty much like the Oscars of, of the culinary world. They give out awards for restaurateurs, for chefs, uh, by region overall, uh, best restaurants, cookbooks, all of that stuff. So it's really an industry, um, you know, benchmark. If if someone has won a James Beard Award, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty big deal. It's a it's a very big deal. That's so awesome. yeah, and and being invited down to the Beard House in New York City to cook for people is pretty amazing. A lot of a lot of great people have gone through there and done dinners there. Were you working there at the time you'd been invited to cook? No, there? I was not. That was before I was there, and maybe since I left, he's been. I'm not quite sure, but you know, that's that's it's a quite a quite an experience. When you were with Grants, what? Was your were you a sous chef there as well? Right, so that's kind of the path. So I started off as a line cook, and became sous chef. And then uh, at the end, I was chef de cuisine, which is basically the person in charge of writing day to day menus and stuff like that. You know, Billy, I worked closely with him, and he would have the final say on on the dishes and stuff like that. But in in terms of conceptualizing, you know, the you're menu, really the head of the and, kitchen. Correct. Right. Wow. Right. Especially when you get to that point, like. Uh, if you're a, a chef and you have a chef de cuisine uh, to run a kitchen of yours, it's usually when you have multiple restaurants and you can't manage every single menu by yourself when you have multiple restaurants. So he opened up in Glastonbury, and that was kind of the time where, you know, I I was and put you doing in the data right exactly. Uh, so. His namesake. That's pretty cool. Yep. Great. So then in 2012, you made your way to Cafe Mantic. Right, so that that was a whole new chapter. I started off um, just consulting with my friend Andrew Goot. He uh, had a, a coffee shop, Cafe Mantic at the time was just a coffee shop, and he was looking to expand into a dinner service of some kind, and had a few ideas of what he what he wanted, and you know, I came on board to do some consulting, to do some menu writing, and help him conceptualize the next uh, step for for what dinner would look like there and it turned into me not leaving so uh you know it it, it just kind of worked and I put a lot of time and effort into kind of helping with all that and just couldn't really walk away that easily after you know you put so much effort into something and your ideas behind it too right so yeah the original kind of idea was um and still is to this day is is small plates um sharing plates is kind of what we call it now um and it's the ability to be able to it's the type of dining style i like to go out to eat like even if a restaurant isn't necessarily does small plates or stuff you usually just order like every appetizer on the menu and it's a way to to taste as much of the food as possible 
and really get a sense of, of what the restaurant has to offer without being locked into just like one large entree. Uh, so we thought that that would be good. It also is good to people can come in for a, a quick snack, a glass of wine, you know, not spend that much money. So it really puts you in control. Or you can do a very long, almost like a tasting menu of, of all the things that we have to offer and really taste everything. So Great. So, you know, that actually you know, brings me to my next curiosity here. Um, two years after you joined, the New York Times writes an article about the restaurant with the title, Where Small Plates Bear Surprises. Right. So how, how's that experience of yeah, getting that was, uh, recognition in such a large <laughs> publication? Right. That was amazing. Uh, that definitely, you know, changed the restaurant for the better and got the name out there. And it was, it was a, it was a crazy time when that article came out. And I mean, it was a very, very flattering article. Grant Cooper, he had come in multiple times. We had no idea that he was there. And then I think on his last meal, he came up and said, "Hey, can I talk to the chef?" And I'm like, "Okay." He was busy. I go outside to say hello to him, and it's like, "Hi, I'm from the New York Times." I'm like, "Okay." I'm like, "I hope we did a good job <laughs> with this guy." But uh, apparently, we did on multiple occasions. So that was um, that was really, yeah, that was an amazing article. And I actually didn't read it for a couple months just because I was just. I don't know. I don't like hearing about myself too much. People write things, and, and everyone's like, oh, it's so really good. They say a lot of nice things. I'm like, I don't want to hear all these nice things about me. <laughs> I don't know. It was just um, – but I, I finally did read it, and it's, it's amazing. But that's got to be affirmation yeah. that, you know, the project you and Andrew were working on is, is right. really getting its wheels under it and everything. Right, yeah. We were we were nonstop busy after that article for, for quite some time, and it was uh, – it was a whole new level of busy for us, and it was great, which is a great thing. You want people to be able to see what you've been working on. And so, did did the writer like tell you how they found out about Cafe Mantic or heard about? I don't, your I meals don't know. Um, he, I, I mean, I talked to Rand afterwards, and um, we did a, a film project. I, I was one of the chefs, so they, they did a large film project in Real Art Ways that he kind of was this was the uh, moderator for. But you know, he has a certain area that he covers in Connecticut, which they actually just got rid of. They, they stopped reviewing Connecticut restaurants. So we're very lucky to get in on that while it was still around. It was just that we were new and somehow he heard a buzz about it and decided that we are next on the list to, to review. Excellent. Uh, very cool. So now, you know, as a professional chef, we'd love to hear a bit about, you know, the inside perspective you know, on how you think of, you know, what makes a great meal and, and what the components are. Um, sure. Or even something like like a dish you, you step back and like, that was, that was a great dish. Right. I think, I don't know, what makes a great meal, well, I, oh, this doesn't necessarily do with the cooking, but, but good company, I think, is <laughs> extremely important. Um, and uh, I don't know, the what what you're in the mood for, I guess, is, is another thing. You know, I, I prefer... Like when I go out to eat a lot, I, I like sitting at the bar. I like low key, but great food. And I think that's kind of my generation of, of, of chefs, I think, is kind of are, are leaning more towards that where the atmosphere is a little more relaxed. It, this, the stuffiness has kind of been taken out of a lot of these places that, that are, are newer now. And, but the focus goes more onto the ingredients and the food. And I, I, think, I think that's one of the biggest things you know, when you go to a great place is, is the quality of ingredients they're using and having someone that someone there that, that really cares every day. Um, you know, a lot of chefs have multiple restaurants now. It's kind of become the, the way to make the business work. Uh, there's not 
huge profit margins in, in small restaurants and to create opportunity for your staff to grow and to maintain good employees to keep to retain them is to open up more restaurants and then you <clears throat> run into the problem of making sure you know someone's there to follow your vision every day i'm lucky right now i have we have one restaurant right now so this has been my focus along with growing our catering company but having someone there that that cares if it's not yourself it needs to be someone else that's really is is passionate about you know what's going out of that kitchen what's what's leaving looking at the dishes and, and tasting the food having people you know tasting every dish that goes out to make sure that it's correct and to uh to not let anything go out that uh that's that's not right you yeah know? which are shoes you've had to fill before especially sure. when you were the chef de cuisine at grants sure where you know billy grant and, and that organization have three restaurants and you were in, you know basically the head of right the kitchen for one of them right it's it's extremely yeah important to have someone there to, to carry on you that that vision and that that level of quality that you're trying to hit so both when you're preparing meals thinking meals or, or the dishes and also now that you're bringing along other chefs to work under you, you know, how much do you see of, of the craft of being talent versus experience and them coming along? Well, when we hire people, we test them out in the kitchen first. You know, we, we do a, what's called a, a trail or a stage where they come into the kitchen, they work for, for a day with us and to kind of see their habits. And we're looking for people that, that have a sense of urgency, I think is one of the most important things. And the way that their their mind works to be able to organize tasks into it's a you need to be a multitasker it's a, from the where the day starts in prep preparing all of your mise en place all of your ingredients to when you're actually working the line when you're when we're cooking at night for the customer there's 20 things that you're juggling all at the same time you know what's the next you know, 10 steps that you're going to turn around, you're going to flip this thing over, then you're going to go into the oven, and then you're going to get the next ticket started that's going to be plated at the same time with the other guy. And so we're looking for, for people that have that uh, that talent. That's the talent we're looking for. We can train people on how to prepare, how to implement techniques that are that are good that we use. That part is teachable. I think the part that, that is not teachable that we look for for that innate talent is, is, the, is that hustle that sense of urgency that work ethic mm -hmm. which is i think in, usually ingrained you know in someone and how their mind works is is you know being able to really juggle gotcha yeah. and and len we were talking earlier about you know as a chef like how many clocks you've got going on in your head all at once because it's not even you have the clock on the dish to make sure it gets out right. to the guests in time but also all the ingredients all the different components and then you got multiple dishes so it just multiplies yeah, yeah that, that's, <laughs> it's intense. That, it's got to be the talent. Man. That's, Does it ever stop, John? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night saying, you know, how long on that ribeye on table 20? You know, oh, my God, it's taking 20 minutes. You're like, wait, I'm not at work. You know, I, I'm sleeping right now. But, yeah, it, it carries over. That's for sure. As you, you know, it all comes together and everything's been prepared, cooked well, and now you're at a point of the final presentation before it goes out to the guests. Do you, do you put a lot of emphasis on the presentation or is it something that kind of just comes together? I mean, we want things so to look nice and to be, you know, appetizing, obviously. To, to me, that that's somewhat secondary, especially, you know, at Cafe Mantic, we are really are focused on being a, a, a neighborhood restaurant where we're, we're not trying to be fine dining, where a lot of things are very, um, you know, very 
delicate plating and very, you know, very arranged and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, some dishes at, uh, you know, some of these crazy restaurants, you know, take several minutes to plate. We're more concerned about the flavor and delivering like just, you know, a very good tasting dish, satisfying dish to someone. So presentation is important. I don't want to say it's not, but it's not our number one uh, focus. The time you talked about, you know, is during service where we're putting food out for the guests, that's that's kind of where all that hard work during the day pays off. And when everything is is running smooth and everyone is, is focused and on their game, that is like the that's the fun part of the day. You know, that's where, you know, you get that adrenaline rush comes in. And, and if everything's going right, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a high. It's a feeling that you can't really, you know, get, you know. It's game time, right? It's game time, and when things are coming together right, it's it's amazing, you know. It's and sometimes when you pay, when you go to a very fine restaurant, it'll be plated so nicely, it's put in front of you, and you have to think, do I really want to eat this, or do I want to look at it? And then the second thing that comes to mind is that there's no food on my plate, it's <laughs> <laughs> and I paid thirty bucks for this. Right. Well, a thirty dollar Instagram picture, right? Right. Right. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Yeah. You know, a big thing for you is your ingredients and how different things are coming together. You change often with the seasons and everything. Um, you have your winter season menu up right now. You know, when you're thinking about the combination of ingredients, is it is it, are you to a point where, you know, you can you can mentally s- like almost taste the ingredients coming together or like, oh, I need a component right. of that or right. like, yeah. how do you think about that? Like a creation of a new dish. Right. You know, yeah, that I think I forget where I, I picked this up somewhere. I think humans are like one of the f- only animals that can that can actually think about tastes and, and you know simulate what it will taste in your head. Uh, so that's definitely something I think after you do it for a while, you can you you can really hone in on that. But we let the we let the season and the availability of of um, of product kind of dictate our menus and and even dishes that come together. We have. You know a list of um, of availabilities from the farms that come in every week. Usually, most of the farmers email or text me once a week to show what they have in inventory, and from there we construct the menu and we construct dishes from that. So, you know, it's halibut season in the spring, and you know the we have a fish guy. He goes out to the docks, and you know. He, Okay, this is what we have. Okay, so halibut. Okay, we want to do that. That looks really good. All right. So what's uh, you know what vegetables? Well, we have fava beans are out right now. Okay, we have s- small baby carrots are out right now. Okay, what goes with that? Okay, onions go with that. Maybe butter, something <clears throat> a little light, but not super light because it's not summer yet because it's still chilly out. So it kind of gets narrowed down by what's available at the moment. What's what's really pristine right now you know what's the best ingredients right now and that kind of dictates what goes into a dish so in terms of like really sitting down and like conceptualizing uh, a certain dish it's more about a process of elimination almost like uh, well we don't have this we we this is what's available how do we make it work together and some things just don't work together and uh, that's you know so so that's not an option and we just kind of pick a like things it's that's where the experience <clears throat> comes in right i th- you know we we call it like flavor bouncing like what goes with what flavor we know like okay halibut goes with bacon 
what goes with bacon? Bacon, you go everything, s- right? <laughs> Every <laughs> bacon's an easy one, right? Uh, so it's just kind of bridging flavors and 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 finding ways to uh, to incorporate them, and, and you know, then you choose different techniques, and it just kind of works like that. Great, you know, actually getting more into the ingredients that you're talking about, and and, and where you get them, and, and knowing the people you get them from. I believe, you know, Cafe Mantic, you know, has as a whole as a claim that the dishes are a celebration of the hard work of the farmers, artisans, and fishermen that supply the restaurant. And then also in that New York Times article, they had you referencing the food writer, Michael Pollan, knowing the hand that feeds you. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the sourcing of the ingredients and maybe as you're working with either farmers or fishermen, what qualities to the ingredients or, or things you've learned about qualities ingredients over the years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been lucky at Cafe Mantic to kind of explore the eastern Connecticut side of uh, farming. Previously at Grants, I had met people out in that area. So coming here, I really didn't have a lot of farms that I had relationships with. So I was able to kind of start fresh and build a lot of relationships, you know, starting back in 2012. I have to mention Winter Kaplison, who was the former person that ran the Coventry Farmer's Market, who started a program called RSAs, which is a play on CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, which is becoming very has become very popular with you know people buying a share of a of a farm for the year. She started this program at the farmers market for restaurants that we would sign up for a share of the farmers market, and every Sunday after the market we would get a delivery, a mystery box, essentially of different ingredients from different farms and a, and a long list of you know who grew what, and that was really. Uh, instrumental in developing a lot of these relationships because we were able to get a chance to, you know, see what these different farmers did, who who had the best, you know, carrots or radishes or, you know, someone's growing a specific type of, you know, Indian eggplant, a bitter eggplant that I'd never tasted before. And so that was a way to really learn who had what and what what we liked from them. And then from there, we developed some longer relationships, one of them being Sweet Acre Farms in Lebanon. They had actually moved several times since when we first met them, but now they have their own place out in Lebanon. And like with them, we work with even in the winter after uh, after after season or pre-season to, to develop the next year's planning for their farm for what, what we want from them. So it's an ability to plan from the seed stage and kind of have that ongoing conversation of First of all, what's working not only specifically in the region, but on on their farm specifically and their land, and what's been successful for them to grow, what's been successful for us to 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 put on the menu and actually have have the guests like it. You know, sometimes that's not only doesn't always align with what you think is really great. Sometimes you're you're excited about a dish and it just didn't you know doesn't doesn't move the way you would like it to. So sometimes you got to work. Almost from the the guest in the restaurant, who's the end consumer of it all, right? We all try, the way back to the farm. Yeah, we try to like. I had. I don't know if I still have this list somewhere. I should probably try to dig it up. But all these, all these criteria of, of a dish. You know, we went through kind of what what are the criteria of a dish? Is you know, does it make you happy to cook it? Is it you know, is it engaging for our cooks and for ourselves? Are we excited to do it? Can we make money on it? You know, it, we have to be able to, to profit off of a dish to be able to sustain the restaurant and to sustain all of our employees that we have and all of that. 
Is it, is it something the guest is excited about? So is, is it available? You know, is it consistently available? You know, it's nice to have that long-term, you know, back and forth with the farmers. So we wanted to, to do Padron peppers, which is like a Spanish pepper that is very simply prepared. It's a Spanish kind of tapas that they do a lot where it's just fried with olive oil and, and sea salt. Mm-hmm. So delicious pepper. They, they grew it for us and they ended up being so spicy. It's supposed to be like one in 20 are spicy, similar to like a shishito pepper. Uh-huh. Uh, and they just ended up all being so spicy, different climate, you know, different soil, di- you know, when, when was it, what size was it harvested it? All these issues that just didn't quite work up the way we wanted it to. So we had to adapt, you know, so now we do shishito peppers, which is similar, but uh, able to grow a little bit better, you know, with with their farm at least yeah. you know so. actually side note on that sashito peppers i mean what happens when you're like do you ever find like you're cooking in the kitchen and you've got all mild sashito peppers and right. then spicy one comes through right is that something you, you kind of taste for and know when you're no. using it or we 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 tell the staff to make sure that, that the guest knows about that and i think that's kind of the exciting part you know okay. kind of uh compared to like a russian roulette kind of situation you know except not life or death i guess yeah but, yeah <laughs> Cause we do that at home. It's like we have all the peppers laid out, or like right. do stuffed peppers or something, and then it's like who's getting the spicy one right. as we go through. I think that's the. Mm-hmm. I, I want to find the spicy one personally. I, I love spicy food, so uh-huh. I'm always looking for that spicy one, hoping. Yeah, so I'm the mild guy, and my <laughs> girlfriend's not. So right, you switch. You go here. I got the spicy one. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, after after that one first bite. <laughs> yep. This is a, a cool time of the year because we're getting ready for the holidays when most of us are starting to do our more we'll call it laborious cooking at home, but also it's, it's kind of post-harvest and we have most of what we've grown in the gardens. But a- as we get into maybe more of a mind shift of you know being the farmer at home to being the cook at home, I think this is actually the nostalgic point where we're thinking about the holidays, we're making plans and we have all our friends coming over and reminiscing, oh, this is gonna be such a great time. And then we get to the point, maybe if a couple weeks from now is I actually have to cook for all these people and prepare this meal in getting to that point where I think everybody hits that overwhelming stress of cooking for the large groups or having all the guests over, you know, never mind, you know, attempting the style of the craft that we have at Cafe Mantic every day. You know, do you have any tips for our listeners as they, as they get ready to cook for these larger groups and what they normally do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the way I approach cooking at like at home for large people is it's similar to the restaurant in terms of how we plan things. So number one, planning, I think, is, is huge and to do as much ahead of time. We call it mise en place, which means everything in its place. So a couple things. First, get your knife sharpened. That will save you time. It'll save you frustration. You know, if, if you're not good at sharpening yourself, I know like a lot of farmers markets have knife sharpeners or you can bring it to like a grocery store. Some of them have it. So there's places for that. I would strongly urge you to do that. It'll make things so much easier for you. And then to plan your menu and and take a look at those recipes and anything that you can do in batches, like all the knife work can be done days ahead of time. So say you have two or three recipes that uses like onions or in everything, right? You're making stuffing, say, you're making a soup, you're making, you know, sauce or something. All of those onions, just do them all at once, you know, and, and have them in your fridge or ready to go, peeled or sliced or diced, however you're, you're using them. The same thing with, like, any of the aromatic vegetables, celery, carrots. Do them all in large batches and, and do it a several days ahead of time. They'll be fine. 
you know, in a Tupperware or something like that in the fridge. And so when it's time to actually go ahead and cook, you're just pulling stuff out, adding it to the pan, and you don't have, you know, onion peels everywhere and stuff like that. We, you know, it's cheap to go buy those little deli containers that you get, like, at the at the grocery store, uh, one cup, two cup, uh, four cup deli containers. We use that for all of our prepped ingredients. They, they seal tightly, and you can have all that stuff labeled in your fridge ready to go. So when it's cooked, cook time, you're just grabbing stuff that's already been prepared you know as far as you can so really like spread out the work then right you spread know? out the work several yeah start start a couple days you know it's it's the same thing no one likes to be running around have all of their counters covered with different crap that you know that's in your way it's it's just so much more peaceful to work in an organized fashion and mm-hmm. that's that's where starting ahead of time i think is is huge on that gotcha um, for the holidays you know are you expected to cook you yeah, we've, uh, I don't know, every year after a large one of these things, I say that it's not going to happen next year. I <laughs> say, you know, it's just too much for going from, you know, the restaurant back into homes, doing it for, for our group of people. But I still end up doing it every year somehow because I, I think after the year has passed, I've forgotten about some of the uh, long nights and stuff. We go over the top, though. So uh-huh. it's it's a little, I can't. It's hard for me to do things simply. I always say we'll make it very simple, but it ends up being, oh, this person wants, likes this thing, and this person likes, uh, you know, the cranberries, and this person likes that pie, and and so we're trying. Oh, we gotta do that. We gotta do that. We always make it way too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I listen to my own advice, I think that's that's this year is try to be simple and, you know, not bite off more than you can chew. Well, if I can make a suggestion, Jonathan, <laughs> the <laughs> sure. person that likes the pumpkin pie over the apple pie, will you just, can you bring an apple pie? Right. You know? Right. Or I like my cranberries sauce jellied. I like it <laughs> chunky. Can you bring the cranberry sauce, please? Right. And, you know, those dishes that you could pre- prepare ahead of time and bring to the, to the feast gives you less to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, that's that's from practical. I got a small kitchen, right. and I got to prepare <laughs> for twenty guests. <laughs> so right. we'll, sp- we'll spread out the work, and then we'll Sp- share the work. Spread it out the work, and then yeah. we'll share in the feast. Yeah, I like that. Well, that's good. a good idea. You ought to try, try that this year. Sometime. Yeah, try at the restaurant. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't think that would work no, too well. No, I don't think so. Uh, another uh, thing too, like you know, we do roasted vegetables every year at Thanksgiving. Uh, going back to preparing ahead, like roast the vegetables off in the oven. Let them sit on on a cookie sheet tray or something like that and flash them back in the oven right before dinner. Any of those things, you know, that that we can do ahead of time saves a lot of of time, too. And even, like, the turkey and stuff like that, we're talking about Thanksgiving. You know, if I understand a lot of people, they like the whole turkey coming out to the table, you know, all in one piece. But if you can get over that and cook the, the legs separately, that's huge. I mean, that you know first they cook at different temperatures it's very hard to keep the the breast juicy and have the legs cooked all the way usually find a compromise in the middle where the the legs are are cooked but they're still maybe a little chewy and maybe the breast is a little drier you try to find that compromise so if 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 you don't need to have the whole turkey come out together you know what we do a lot of times is we'll uh, we'll cook the turkey legs in in chicken fat or you can use even pork fat which you can just buy lard 
uh, the store or something like that. And we just we kind of put it in there late at night. Maybe we'll be up a little late the night before having a couple drinks. And we'll put the turkey legs in the oven just covered in fat. And we've seasoned them up and let them go for eight hours at 200 degrees. And they're just falling off the bone tender when you wake up in the morning. All you got to do is just crisp up the skin in a skillet or something. And we put those separately. Those those go first, you know, before, <laughs> before sure anything else. Do. You know? <laughs> or you could braise it in, in some in some chicken stock or whatever like that. So they're really, really tender. Again, something that's done ahead of time where that, that crunch time and half an hour, an hour before your dinner is supposed to be ready. And there's no room in the oven to, to cook anything else. And it makes that much easier, I think, just to yeah. have much done ahead year. of time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that actually like kind of jumps back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, where do you prioritize presentation versus, you know, the flavor and everything right. where, I mean, maybe you can garnish up the turkey legs or something, but you don't need that. The right. whole turkey coming out at once for right. that, that awesome picture where everybody's sitting around right. the turkey in the middle, you know, focus on, you know, what, what's going to get you the best flavor and, right. and the best result. And, at the end of the day, I think that's what we all remember. Right. My problem is that there's only two turkey legs, but there's more than two people who want turkey legs. Well, you can buy extra turkey legs. I'm going to have to. See, I'm that's the thing. That's it's even easier. If you got a big, you know, a big tray of those turkey legs going in the oven, you can definitely a roasting pan will fit more than two legs. Oh, you yes. know, you can put a, you know four to six legs in there, and uh, satisfy all those dark meat lovers. So yeah. cover it in lard, huh? Cover it in lard. You mean any bacon in there? Yeah. Put anything you want in there. Last year, I think you know we just didn't have enough chicken fat. A lot of times, we'll we'll save chicken. Yeah. I steal things from the restaurant like that. That you know, it's not necessarily going to use in the restaurant. We'll save chicken skin for you know a couple months in the freezer, and then I'll just you know all you do is put a little bit of water in a pot, let it go real slow for yeah. a couple hours, and then the water evaporates. You're left with just chicken fat. Or last year we used I think it was a combination of bacon fat, duck fat, chicken fat. And pork fat, just mixed it all together, and uh, oh baby, all the fats, you know, <laughs> and uh, let those suckers go low and slow. And, and just to pick your brain for you know another minute, would you have any you know impress the guest recipes that would be easy that we could post right. up in the show notes? Sure, I think I'm gonna send you the butternut squash soup recipe. We do that; it's on the menu right now. Not every day at the restaurant because we rotate our soups, but it's one that is like always extremely popular people are always asking us for that recipe so it's a couple of like the the things i think that make it really delicious is we add uh we add brown butter to the soup at the end we stir in brown butter is kind of a magical thing it's something very simple that you know is very easy to do is you melt down butter and you toast it until the milk solids start to caramelize and you get that rich nutty kind of hazelnut aroma and flavor from that and we stir that into the soup at the end it makes it really delicious we add some apples and some ginger in there, which kind of give it some acid and a little freshness. We garnish it with some whipped nutmeg creme fraiche. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something, again, you can have that done three days ahead of time. That's something that even improves as the soup sits for a couple of days. The flavors kind of intensify a little bit and meld together. And now you're just reheating something. And soups are fun to garnish. You can make them look really good. You can put some fried sage leaves on top. You can buy some roasted pumpkin seed oil. You can toast off some pumpkin seeds. You know, you can make it, you can dress it up and all you're doing is heating, heating up some, some soup that you did three days ago that you, that you put the work in up front 
and the payoff's kind of big when you you know everyone gets a nice little soup that's garnished kind of cool and you know it's a it's a favorite crowd favorite i think oh awesome i, I can't wait for that i can't yeah. what time does cafe romantic <laughs> <laughs> open 11 a.m yeah. most days we're gonna stop this and head over <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome well jonathan thank you again for taking the time and sharing all of this with us we truly appreciate it now you guys have the seasonal menu changes you know ongoing throughout the year uh, where can we go to see what's on the menu and, and what's available now at Cafe Mantic? Sure, you can go to cafemantic.com. We try to upload the menus every time we change them. The menus change at least once a week, sometimes more than that, where not the whole menu, but several items kind of come and go depending on you know the kind of micro seasons with the farms and stuff. And so you can go there, check that out, make, make reservations online there. And we also are trying to grow our full-service catering company, uh, Movable Feast. And you can go to ctfeast.com to look up all of our catering stuff. We do large events, 100-plus weddings, to small events, luncheons, anything like that. We do it all. And we come to you, and we bring the, the restaurant to your event. So Fantastic. So is there anything on the menu coming up or, or that's on there now that you're excited about personally? Or? Yeah, I've been kind of busy with a lot of the catering stuff and waiting to put this one on uh, for a couple weeks now. But we'll be doing, speaking of confiing things in fat, we'll be doing duck leg confit soon so that's a fall classic we'll do it with kind of like a cassoulet style we get some beautiful beans from this company in california some cranberry beans and we make this kind of stew out of that with some pork sausage and a nice crispy duck leg on top of that so that should be coming up pretty soon uh, what's awesome. pretty soon pretty yeah. soon i would say by next week so okay around the first week of november first week. okay yeah. That's all I need to know. <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll email you when that one comes okay. out. It'll be on Facebook or something, I'm sure, too. So you can check out all of our pictures and stuff there. Fantastic. Well, Jonathan, thanks again, and I uh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. For notes from this episode, along with Jonathan's recipe for butternut squash soup, check out the blog section of our website, at mackeysinc.com that's m-a-c-k-e-y-s-i-n-c.com and remember where that is and what you love that's home Mackey's where the home grows <laughs>